What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Eric Marshall is a longtime member here at Grace. His parents uh, live here in Wyckoff, and he has grown up in this church. He served the last year as the leader of our young adult group here at Grace, and though he lives in Morristown, he splits his time between our church and his responsibilities down south. Eric preached here before and did an excellent job, but I have to say this message is going to share he's going to share with us today is one that is near to his heart, and you'll hear the reasons for that in a moment. Uh, I am so impressed with Eric and the steps he's taken even in the short time that I've been here at Grace, and so it is a great pleasure to me to introduce to you our preacher for the day, our guest preacher, Eric Marshall. Can you welcome him here to the pulpit today? Good morning. And thank you, Pastor Brian, for the introduction. I want to start off by saying that the world has exposed us to so much that does not make sense, particularly over the past two and a half years. It is difficult to rationalize what occurs in our everyday lives, what happens across our communities, the nation, and the globe. We see the term power used to describe individuals, nations, and physical forces that have a tremendous influence and impact on our lives. By default, Power is typically associated with a level of superiority or a loss of control that cannot simply be explained away. In the scriptures, we see how God responds to power, and we may be able to see a path forward where it is not so intimidating, but we can actually be empowered to take on life's challenges. The war in Ukraine is depicted with horrific images of buildings destroyed, lives taken far too early, and cities literally wiped off the map. Ukrainian families are split with husbands remaining in the country to fight and women and children crossing borders to refuge and safety. They have a complete loss of control over their lives and the story is still being written each and every day. And so how can this happen, we may ask ourselves. This is not the first time Russia or the former Soviet Union decimated Europe, causing immense human displacements, death, and physical destruction. My grandparents grew up in the country of Latvia, one of the states on the Baltic Sea that also borders present-day Russia. In the 1940s, as Hitler came to power and conducted evil atrocities, the Soviets came from the east, taking Latvia, Estonia, and Lithuania. Just as Russia is coming into the Donbas region today as liberators in the current conflict, the Soviets came to the Baltic states to free citizens of those countries of their own governments at the time. My grandparents' lives were upended, spending over five years in the displaced persons camp in Germany after the occupation. My grandfather lost his machine shop with all the Soviets taking all the tools and equipment. Their lives were completely lost. And so 80 years later, these chain events are literally repeating themselves. A few leaders with so much influence and power, and so how can we respond? I struggle with how to process, how to help, how to explain this unchecked power. What has history taught us, and where is God in all this? In the early days of the current conflict in Ukraine, we saw images of what can be viewed as human compassion in its most raw form. Neighbors helping neighbors within their own country, as well as across borders. 
music in the underground subways, and children playing impromptu games with what little they have. Volunteers from across the globe have arrived at intermediate stops for Ukrainians fleeing west to relative safety to serve, to meet the most basic and immediate human needs. The most noble act is when fellow Europeans take in complete strangers into their homes with an uncertain time frame and expecting little in return. What a demonstration of what it means to love. When disasters and circumstances upend our lives here in the United States, we see a tremendous outpouring of support in the immediate aftermath. Fundraisers, mobilizing supplies, and prayers have become the default responses to recent disasters and crises that we face close to home. Hurricane Sandy, for instance, as well as the recent coronavirus pandemic. This is exactly what we need to do to meet the most immediate needs in the face of immense forces that are beyond our control. These efforts are often, often how we contribute to, uh, as a body and as a community. However, far too often, we see our own individualism take hold after some time. We revert back to our private lives, not always engaging with those around us and looking out for our own interests. I am just as guilty as this as anyone here. I find myself reverting back to my little world, my fears, my need for certainty, and need for connection. Today's primary scripture reading comes from Acts chapter 4, verses 13 through 20 and 27 through 32. Jeff is going to share God's word with us this morning. Peter and John are before the council as ordinary men, being coerced not to speak of what they had seen and heard of Jesus' life and resurrection. The chief priests and elders did not know how to respond to a man being healed and cannot deny it. King Herod and Pontius Pilate had tremendous power over the Jewish and Roman people, just as we see Russia asserting physical power over Ukraine and its people today. Jesus' disciples had a decision to make about how they were going to respond to the authorities. And so here now, the word of the Lord. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. When they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they ordered them to leave the council while they discussed the matter with one another. They said, what will we do with them? For it is obvious to all who, love, who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign has been done through them. We cannot deny it. But, keep, but to keep it from spreading further among the people. Let us, warn, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and ordered them not to speak, to, to, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. For the city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, 
to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at, the, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with your boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonder and perform those and perform through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place, the place in which they were gathered together had shaken, and they were, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in the word of God with boldness. And today's second scripture reading comes from John chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill, so the sister sent a message to Jesus, Lord, him who you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after Having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Let us pray. God, help us to be an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Help us to come to a more complete understanding of ourselves so that we may go as your disciples and continue to witness your grace and mercy. Amen. What I find so incredibly profound about the Gospels is how much of what we as humans go through in the 21st century is not new and unique. We have been through it before, in some cases one or two generations ago. But the challenges we face today are in many cases not much different than 2,000 years ago. Peter and John saw something that gave life, gave hope, and provided a new way forward that was freely available no matter where you grew up, who you associated with, or how you looked. Peter and John were told to be silent because the authorities saw them as a threat to their power, the status quo. This does not sound very different from today, where a few leaders assert their influence and silence the truth. The Holy Spirit breaks through and allows our Holy Servant Jesus to give us opportunities for redemption, healing, and abundant life. It teaches us that we are all connected, accountable to each other, and need to speak boldly about what we observe happening before us. The women in the Gospels begin to further break down the paradigm of what was a male-dominated society at the time. The patriarchal structures, which one could argue were deeply seated in power and through physical dominance at the time, limited what we can glean about the Marys of the New Testament. There remains only small pieces of their stories covered in the Gospels, and this may have been on purpose to suppress their influence. Mary Magdalene is not referenced directly in the Gospels much, but her presence allows God's providence to be revealed. The impact she had in her utterly human reaction at the tomb shows us that those with the least perceived control and power at the time can be God's instrument for restoration and renewal. In today's second scripture reading, we are reminded of Mary, Lazarus' sister, who tended to the immediate needs of Jesus when he visited their home. It was not about presentation and performance, which are often at the core of someone seeking or asserting influence. 
It was about being present and showing compassion. Jesus, despite the power and influence given to him by God, stayed two days longer when Lazarus was ill. And so we see the Marys of the New Testament willing to be vulnerable, showing their core identities when staring directly at God's power, a power that defies conventional wisdom, that challenges our understanding, and that relentlessly tugs on our human intuitions. The Marys, despite being from a population who did not have great influence in society at the time, had a front row seat to God's power. When we look at the broader scope of history, it becomes clear that those in positions of authority really only control a specific domain, whether it be our physical well-being, emotional health, finances, or mobility, for instance. They're able to penetrate specific aspects of our lives for a finite period of time in many cases. And much of what motivates people in positions of influence is their own fear. It sounds contradictory, but when you peel back the curtain, they're not much different than we are in our own interactions. Where does this all end up? Isolation. So many of the world's most authoritarian leaders end up alone, broken, exiled. And I do not say this lightly, there are hundreds of millions of people who have been killed from the hands of those who exert undue power for their own gain. The point I'm trying to make here is that when the veil is lowered, not only do we see what separates us from God, we also see what, behind, what is behind the scenes is fear. So Christianity offers us a way to explore our roots, our desires, and our hearts. When influences of power within and external to ourselves controls our lives or brings us to our knees, we need a supportive environment. Jesus' ministry is profound in how he addresses both the immediate needs of people as well as root causes. He feeds 5,000, heals physical affliction, and provides what no one thought was possible in stories throughout the Gospels. God provides for basic needs, and the testimonies that many of you have shared in our faith community here demonstrated. But Jesus also provided a connection to God that over time allows individuals to see the root causes of our broken relationships, our desires, and our understanding of the world. Through the, through the grace and mercy that he provides, we are shown a new way to life. Between God's kingdom and ourselves stand structures that mostly try to assert who we are and what we can expect for ourselves. Mostly human-derived, these prevent us from knowing our own selves and God. Nations, states, community groupings are what I call intermediate structures which are simply necessary for an organized and functioning society. However, when it comes to empowering people where they are in life, these structures do not allow us to go down to the core, to know who we tr truly are, and to reconnect us with our Lord and Savior. Jesus literally and figuratively tore down the structures that stood between. Think about the Pharisees and, the Je and Jesus in the temple in Jerusalem. There were doctrines of wealth, the law, righteousness, that were well-intentioned, but placed a structure, a barrier between us as individuals and God. This is what happens when power and influence go unchecked, as us as groups become self-prophesizing, self-righteous, and we hold on to control that was never ours to begin with. Jesus restored our ability to have a direct relationship with God, and that starts with a more complete understanding of ourselves. And so, how do we respond in what we face today? Where is God in all this? 
I want to take the final minutes we have together to share a journey that I think is very applicable here. Many times we think of ourselves each as individuals who also fit into broad categories of personality types. Extroverted, introverted, risk averse, judgmental, emotional. There are plenty of personality typing systems today in the field of psychology. And you may have heard of Myers-Briggs, type A, type B personalities. These systems can be immensely enlightening in helping us understand who we are and how we relate to those around us. But have you ever asked yourself why you're a certain type? What sequence of events led you to respond the way that you do? I was first introduced to the Enneagram, yes, it's pronounced the Enneagram, a handful of years ago during a time of study and reflection that the young adults conducted here at Grace. The Enneagram is essentially a personality typing system that has nine distinct personality types. And I believe we have a slide that we're going to project behind me here. It carries various titles of one's primary response or how one interfaces with the world. At first, I was very excited to learn that my, what my personality type would be and how I could label myself. What a relief that I actually fit into a category. But there are different tests that are now available to help one narrow down to at least a few types. For the record, I'm a type five with a type four wing, which is probably why I'm standing before you here today. But as always, it's complicated. <laughs> what was not apparent at first was that these types are only the tip of the iceberg. Our personalities are actually driven by a much more complex story than we were simply given these traits at birth. Through our childhoods, we pick up narratives that are driven by the perception we have of ourselves and those in power who influence us. Then our egos take over in response to these narratives and cause us to respond in a certain way. For instance, one experiences a childhood of regular disappointment and pain. And a response to that narrative can be to suppress negative feelings by always looking to the future and consistently trying to leap forward to what is the next almost certain to be positive experience. When we see our outward responses and it's not merely innate or assigned to us, we begin to see a complete yet messy understanding of ourselves. This work cannot be done under the insistence or persuasion of other people. This is a deeply personal process that needs to happen within ourselves and for us Christians under the guidance and timing of God. During a retreat nearing the end of our study of the Enneagram, we were asked to break into pairs. Each partner was instructed to ask their partner, why are you great? This is not a question to be asked just once. Each individual had to ask the same question of their partner for about five minutes straight, saying a polite thank you after the partner's response and immediately asking the question again, why are you great? It is not apparent until about two minutes in that five minutes is a really long time to be answering the same exact question. Catherine here on a worship team was my partner for this activity, and I'm sure she can attest that this was one of the most challenging experiences of the weekend. And the point of this exercise is not to find out how great every great attribute one can think of in the moment. It is to go down to the core of our motivations, fears, and needs. At the end of the exercise, the way I perceived myself and the story I was telling myself were completely exposed. There were no secrets left. What was in darkness was brought into light. 
what I never thought I would say out loud was brought to the surface. Though a process of discovery, our chains are broken, as well as the narratives that influence us. We have to be willing to surrender and go down to the core with nothing to hold on to before we can come back into abundant life. And so in those seasons where you're completely exposed, when you have nothing to hold on to, our old stories don't work for us anymore. That is where God relentlessly pursues us. We may think that we are not worthy for a period of time, but God does not let us go. It is also within these seasons that we need to think about how we are going to serve beyond ourselves. Finding true self changes life, but does not change lives until your responses and priorities are changed. Awareness builds ourselves. Action and speaking truth builds enduring relationships with those around us. And so, even though the Enneagram is not directly rooted in Christianity, its process parallels Jesus' ministry when it comes to finding our path to God's kingdom. Influences beyond our control, whether they be external to ourselves or internal, constrain us and far too often push us from being our true selves. The circumstances into which we were born, the communities in which we live, the leaders of the organizations and structures around us are powerful, but they can never fundamentally define us. When we provide the space for God to expose us, take us down to the core of our motivations, and bring us back up, that is where we can begin restoring relationships. This is how we can be his disciples, bring us closer to his vision for eternity. I have to say that diamonds, the, the mineral, the rock, are a wonderful analogy here. They're one of the most durable and most valuable substances on Earth, being formed underground before humans make a decision to extract them. Both the evolution of the diamond and its characteristics are quite an analogy for us as children of God. They demonstrate that under great pressure, at great depths, there is a possibility to be transformed into an intrinsic self that can withstand all the abrasive and corrosive elements of life, but yet come out with universal value in the world. You will be subjected to powerful influences throughout your life, but through empowering ourselves by going down deep to our roots, we can emerge with a new understanding, a broader perspective, and ultimately redefine power forevermore. The final song we're gonna sing later in the service encourages us to reflect who we are and how God calls us to be deeper still. And so I would encourage you to use the repeating verses around the ideas to reflect on your relationship with God and how God may walk with you as a partner in exploring your greatest depths. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.